Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning, Hartford, Connecticut, and surrounding regions. We've been praying for you guys. The storms in the northeast uh, part of the United States are certainly historic, and so you've been you've been on our prayers for uh, better than twenty four hours now. So, thank you so much for um, being with us. There was a volcanic eruption in Iceland. We talked about this like a month ago. They were evacuating communities because these fissures were growing and. Well, finally, that volcano erupted, and so there's quite a dramatic lava flow. You'll probably see pictures of it on social media. All the people are safe, so that's good news. There was a deadly earthquake in northeast China. Um, You'll hear news about that as well. Wars, rumors of wars. And you're saying to yourself, okay, this is Christmas. This is Christmas. Mm -hmm. And our families are dealing with mental illness and addiction and family conflicts Unplanned pregnancies and those who desperately want to be pregnant but are not. Challenging diagnoses. The the desire to get some kind of medical treatment in by the end of the year because you've met your deductible. And you know if you wait until after the first of the year, you won't be able to afford it. Like, we got a lot going on. I get it. Griefs of so many kinds. It's tempting to um, to just try to ignore all those realities. Um. But the privilege of prayer is real, and it's also a responsibility. I just wanted to pause on that thought for just a moment. Prayer is such a, it's a credible privilege to enter into the presence of the living God and to make our concerns known to him, to throw ourselves in front of his loving, generous, grace-filled, holy throne and say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We need some hope. So some of you responded um, to our invitation to share with us uh, an individual or, or individuals in your life who could just really use some hope for Christmas. And so it's been our privilege to begin making those phone calls, and um, we've got one of them coming up right now. Hi, Deborah. This is Carmen LaBerge from Faith Radio. Ah! Hi, Carmen. <laughs> Hi, how are you today? I'm very good. How are you? Well, I am well. I am well. You might remember that you nominated a friend of yours for our Faith Radio Give Hope for Christmas uh, yes, program. Yes, I did. Well, um, your friend has been selected. So happy. <laughs> yeah. So we thought we would call you and get you to tell us a little bit of her story. And we're not going to use last names or anything to, you know, to protect people. But we would love to hear what motivated you to nominate your friend for our Give Hope for Christmas. Well, I'm glad to hear you're not going to use last name. 
she's kind of a private person. So I really hesitated even to nominate her, but they, I know, could really use the encouragement. She's been a single mom for a long, long time, and her son is just the most amazing young man. He's in his uh, mid-30s now, and I met them when I was doing special needs help in the high school back in the mid-2000s. And so she has raised this young man, and he's had troubles all the way along, but he's doing quite well now. Uh, But she is just the most um, amazing mom to him, very um, encouraging and uh, always advocating for him in the best ways. But now she has cancer, and this came about maybe... I think we learned about it in midsummer or something. Um, but she had a bunch of treatment, and the treatment actually, it, the chemo didn't do anything. Uh, so now she had a surgery in October, and they're encouraged by the surgery. Hopefully, we are praying and praying for a, a good outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cancer PET scan will come back the day after Christmas. Mm. So then they'll know where they're going from there. Um, And my concern, of course, is um, just what happens with her son, Dustin, Mm. if God should decide to take her. And um, they don't have a lot of family here, one niece, and their church has been very supportive through all of this. And we've kind of been the ones that have come alongside praying for them here and there in their lives. Like, we're not there all the time, but we see them a couple times a year. And then um, we, whenever we see them, we pray for them. And that's what they love, you know. So we were just there with them last week. And when you were out on vacation, and Paul Perot mentioned that we could still nominate people I was actually just before he said that thinking, oh, I wish I would have nominated Karen and Dustin. And then he says, it's not too late. I'm like, okay, I'm going to message now. So I just am so happy to hear that they've been nominated because they are a a beautiful mom and a son who depend on the Lord. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Deborah, we, we love you and we're so thankful for you. Thank you, Deborah, for helping us give a little hope this Christmas. Um, and we look forward to connecting with your friend. So, Deborah, um, thank you so much and Merry Christmas. Thank you, Carmen. You, um, you can still get in on our Give Hope for Christmas opportunity. Who, who's on your heart to bless this Christmas? Faith Radio would love to help. So you can go to MyFaceRadio.com. You'll see right up there at the top of the page um, our Give Hope for Christmas uh, invitation. And you just, you, know, you just tell us who and tell us a little bit about you so that we can, um, we can follow up with you as well. Hope is a great gift. And you are such a good friend to, um, to so many people. And you know of a person who could really use some hope this Christmas. I know you do. So share that with us that, um, that we might be able to extend a little, uh, a little Christmas joy, a little, little Christmas hope um, to others. We appreciate you coming alongside us in this opportunity. Our friend, Dr. Brett Nix, is going to join us next. Um, we have two, uh, two pregnant women in my family. Mm-hmm. 
two grandbabies on the way. And so I am really interested in hearing what Dr. Brett Nix has to tell us about um, the cause of morning sickness. Apparently, the cause has been determined. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, our friend uh, Dr. Brett Nix is back. You can find resources at CMDA. That's the Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org. You can also find Brett online at brettnixmd.com. Good morning. Good morning, Carmen, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I um I have uh, some kind of little uh, head cold here, but I don't have morning sickness. But I do know two people who do. <laughs> so uh, what is the cause of morning sickness, sir? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, when it comes to having a little bit of congestion and cold, I'm with you there. As you can tell, my voice is a little deeper. Uh, my family and I have been navigating this. But fortunately for me, it is not morning sickness, and I am thankful for that. <laughs> you know, so many women deal with this all the time. About 70% of women, when they're pregnant, deal with morning sickness. And what we end up finding is it's not that 70%. Yes, it's horrible, but about 3% of them have a drastic issue where they cannot eat, they cannot drink. They actually many times have to be hospitalized to have IV fluids and navigate through this process. Well, what's interesting is there's some studies that have come out. And again, this is in the Journal of Nature, and they're looking at this specifically related to to rats. They're studying animals in this study, and they found a hormone, uh, GDF15, GDF15. And what this is, it's a hormone that they believe may be the answer to morning sickness. And what they have found is in the studies, those that at the at their baseline, the genetic code that they've been given, what God has given to them, if you have a higher level of GDF 15 before pregnancy, you are protected from having morning sickness. And those that have low levels of GDF 15 are those that have the higher risk of morning sickness. And if you think about this, of course, you know, many times people say, hey, with morning sickness, you need to have a bland diet, you need to snack often, you need to drink water, and here's some medicines for your nausea. And for those who've been through this, they say to themselves, this is inescapable. This is miserable. I spend more time near a toilet. Uh, And eventually, as they move through their pregnancy, it gets better. And that has to do with the hormone levels as the baby develops. Uh, the baby is developing the in the process more GDF-15. So if you have the low levels to begin with, your body is sensitized to it. And so as the baby is developing, you become sicker. You have morning sickness. For those that have higher levels to it, the body says, hey, I already recognize this. This is not a problem. So the next steps now are trying to figure out what do we do with this information? <clears throat> do we give injections uh, to women when they're in the process of becoming pregnant? to go ahead and raise that level. And again, anytime we're talking about hormone processes, the question also is, if I give it, what might the problems be? So while this is a good step forward, we still need a lot of information before we have the answers. All right, but that's super hopeful. We like uh, we like progress on things like that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, obesity has met its match, maybe. Well, I, so... How many times have we spoken over this last year, or perhaps if you're watching TV or listening to the radio, you hear these commercials related to Ozempic or Wagovi. And this last year, while this is not a new drug, the the GLP-1 drugs that we've been hearing about uh, related to the management of diabetes, uh, initially these things came out. uh, And these are great medications that not only help to regulate uh, diabetes and the medications needed, but have shown to be helpful with things like heart disease, 
with things like high blood pressure that are common in patients that have underlying issues with diabetes. What they found initially were the side effects of these medications. In many of these patients, they were overweight or obese. They had weight reduction. Part of it was thought to be related to better management of the diabetes. But what became known over time was that these were amazing weight loss medications. And the companies that produced them, uh, just like here in the U.S. and and elsewhere, uh, then went for FDA approval to say, hey, we can use these medications for diabetic management, but let's also get them approved for weight management. And what we ended up finding is with these medications that are out uh, and have been really uh, promulgated heavily over this last year, that for many people, they ended up having fairly significant amount of weight loss. And again, we started getting into issues with this, it's the balancing act. And you know, here's studies, which is the medications are a great starting point, but what are the other composites of what you are doing in your life that allows you to continue to lose? Uh, we also recognize anytime we put a new medication in our body, we have to ask the question, Yes, this is a medical breakthrough, but rarely do they come without side effects. And again, in these medications, we see some mild gastrointestinal problems for some people, some nausea, some vomiting, some diarrhea. Uh, but in general, when you're finding people that are losing 15 to 20 percent uh, weight loss in this category, that's really quite impressive. <clears throat> what do we know at this point in time? They are expensive. Uh, in general, the cost for these medications is about $1,000 a month. And sometimes it's covered by insurance, other times it is not. But the other question, as we know, is once you start these medications, how long do you have to take them? If you have normalization of your weight and you're happy with your results, if we stop taking them, does the weight come back on? And if so, at what rate? How do we mitigate that and get into healthy lifestyles uh, to manage it? But again, I mean, this year has been really quite amazing as far as uh, the level of scientific breakthroughs and the application to our bodies, uh, you know, and again, as with anything, we see uh, steps forward, and then we ask the question, so what does this look like long-term? And again, very exciting, especially for those that challenge are challenged in this area. We're talking with Dr. Brett Nix, um, and we are, we're talking about a range of topics related to our health, getting a little checkup this morning. If you are um, a medical professional of any kind, uh, we want you to check out the Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org. Lots of great resources there um, for you uh, in opportunity to connect with like-minded Christian um, doctors and dentists and others in across the healthcare professions. Um, we just really, we don't want you to be alone out there. We know that it's a challenging time um, to to be in, in the medical community. And uh, so we want you to be connected with other Christians and have the resources that CMDA makes available. So check that out. When we come back, um, I'm going to ask Dr. Brett Nix why we dream. Have you dreamed a wonderful dream? Are there sugar plums dancing in your heads? What kind of dreams are you dreaming? Why do we dream? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You've heard it said that it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You've also heard it sung, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Well, what about hope? What about hope? What does it take to get hope sparked? And what does it take to get hope moving uh, around the world? I got a hope hat. I got a hope shirt. I got a hope bumper sticker. I know a ministry of hope. I know people who need hope. But how do we actually give hope beyond bumper stickers and theme songs and ball caps? How do we help other people discover the hope that is real, substantial, and enduring? My guess is one reason you listen to this podcast is, well, it delivers hope. So as you're thinking about giving gifts this Christmas, 
Have you considered giving others the gift of hope? You can give hope this season by supporting Faith Radio's Give Hope for Christmas campaign by sharing your story of hope at MyFaithRadio.com because hope begets hope. Pass it on. Have you dreamed a wonderful dream? Are you dreaming now? I don't know. Probably not. Dr. Brett Nix, um, why do we dream? Well, I tell you, there are a lot of theories around dreams, and uh, not everyone is in agreement. So many people will tell you, hey, you know what? You dream because of issues that are going on in your background, the things you're concerned about, the episodes of the day, or what you're anticipating in the day to come. Currently, researchers are asking the question, maybe it's the way the brain protects itself, that dreams have a way of preventing different parts of your brain from taking over. One of the researchers most recently talks about this fact that, hey, there's different parts of the brain. And as we are young and developing, we use this term plasticity, the the moldability, if you will, of the brain, the ability for it to adapt, to learn and to grow. And talk about this specifically that says, hey, the visual cortex, the areas that are the front of your brain, uh, when you are sleeping, your eyes are closed. And so that area of the brain uh, has to maintain its activity. And so you dream in these visual patterns when you go into REM sleep, and they believe, at least this researcher does, that this is a way that allows the brain to fight the takeover of other senses, the sense of smell, the sense of hearing, the things that are still active while you're sleeping. Now, when you look at this, it's really quite fascinating because what they talk about is the fact that regardless of our age, our brain still has a capacity to develop, to change Uh, And so this is a protective mechanism. And so what do they really mean in this process is that, hey, each one of us, when we're young, we go into REM sleep, that rapid eye movement sleep. Our body actually at that stage is in a paralyzed state, which is fascinating. So the muscles don't react to our dreams. So you're not jumping out of bed, running around and responding. Uh, There is some nuance, obviously, with those that that walk at night. Uh, But what they have found in these studies is that at the same time, the adaptability of the brain during REM sleep uh, allows for this visual access to occur. So when you are dreaming, you have these visual processes. You can actually see yourself actively in these areas. They perceive that the reason for that is actually that just to protect the brain, to allow the area for your visual cortex, how you see and how you perceive the world around you uh, to exist. Now, again, there are others who say, no, there's other theories and, and whatnot. The particular, the dream researchers believe this is this may be one of the hypotheses. And again, it will take a long time and these active studies related to people who are in stages of sleep to verify this theory. But any theory that can accommodate and explanations for dreams for us, we find fascinating. So um, there are people working on some kind of thing that we might wear at night so that we can keep working while we're asleep. I don't think that's a good idea. Let me just no, I say, would ag- I think that when yeah. we sleep, we should sleep. Absolutely. And, you know, and many times, in, I think in the article as well, and in some of the studies, they, they explain dreaming like a computer screensaver that goes on mm, and is set to go off. And that all of a sudden you go to this process, but that ex- instead of it going to a frozen image, this process of dreaming prevents the visual cortex from being overrun by other areas of the brain. The process with this, however, is what do we know about sleep? Sleep is a restorative process that God gave to us that allows us to grow, allows us to normalize, and allows us to be in the state that we need to. We know that sleep is invaluable in our youth and is is equally as valued, just not as long as we age. And so 
anything that we do to disrupt sleep, to make it more productive, is probably going to go against the way our bodies were developed and designed. Uh, and so it begged the question as to whether that might be a good thing. I would suspect not. Are you a um, advocate of hitting the snooze button or not? I am not a snooze button person. <clears throat> Actually, to that degree, I have a watch that I wear that just monitors my sleep. Uh, it buzzes and I wake up. And so I do that so that my wife doesn't wake up when my alarm goes off. So as soon as it gets up, as soon as it goes off, I get up uh, and I start my day. And um, I have a pretty standard routine that I absolutely love and enjoy and allows me really to, to, to start my day off in a vibrant way. I know for some people that claim to not be morning people, that might sound absolutely horrific. Uh, but what we do know, there's actually studies as well uh, that hitting the snooze button actually will set you back as far as your ability to function at a high level at the beginning of the day. Uh, and it sets the stage for how you respond to other stimuli through the course of the day. So fascinating stuff there as well. I am mm. not a snooze button fan either. Um, so Carol is on the text line and she says, well, if the good doctor will take a question, here's one. Do blind people see images when they dream? <clears throat> so that is a great question. And the answer, as best we know, is yes. And they have done studies specifically looking at mice that are blind, that have a genetic uh, link that are blind. And what they find is that even still, they go through the same process. The area of the visual cortex is activated during sleep even though they don't see. So the brain is still protecting itself for those areas. Now, I can't tell you what the mice is seeing or, or, or anticipating during that dream cycle, but the activation of those centers still remains even in the absence of actual sight. Great mm -hmm. question. Uh, and the literature, at least as we know it today, would suggest that area remains active. I had a, bl I had a dog who went blind and um, there's just no question that that dog still like had lo very lucid dreams because you know, their, their paws are moving and their faces are twitching. And yeah. Okay. We have one more, um, we have one more dream question. This one's from Deb. Um, she said, um, all right, I heard that our bodies are in a paralyzed state. First of all, that's so cool. Last night I was actually physically striking out at my poor husband with both my arms and fighting him as, as he tried to wake me up. So what's that all about? <laughs> <clears throat> so that is a great question. So activities in the brain, depending on the stage and cycle that you're in, can go through areas of paralysis of your major, major muscle groups, and that prevents your sleeper from acting out to what's going on in the dream. However, as you are coming out of your dream state, the paralysis stops to, starts to wear off, and so you can actually enter into those physical states. And so you're absolutely right. I have no doubt that that happens. I will tell you, if, if any of you are like me, sometimes I have these crazy Mission Impossible dreams where I am the you know James Bond of the world in some who-knows-what fashion and I will have dreams where I need to jump up and I need to respond and react and feel paralyzed and I can't speak. And then I wake up immediately and I'm still in that state of paralysis, not able to speak and almost moaning, if you will. It is amazing. And what they say is you can have periods of disruptive sleep where all of a sudden you go instead of a normal time cycle, it gets foreshortened. And all of a sudden you come out either explosive or you come out with this level of paralysis that still exists. Uh, it is absolutely amazing. Uh, what I do know to be true is that we go through these cycles again for a restorative process. Uh, for those who struggle with sleep, uh, you know it because you are exhausted all of the time. Your body's not going through this restoration. Mm. Uh, so recognize more than anything else the things that we know to be true, uh, sleep hygiene, sleep quality, uh, avoidance of excessive times in front of your screens of any variety before night, the, the blue light syndromes, et cetera. All of these things, very, very real. Uh, but sleep is absolutely essential for all of us. It's so good.
Thank you so much. We love um, we love having an opportunity to visit with you and talk with you just about you know, things that affect all of us. So thanks so much for your willingness to take questions this morning. That was kind of fun. That's Dr. Brett Nix. You can find him at brettnixmd.com and the Christian Medical and Dental Association at cmda.org. Um, so one of, the, uh, one of the songs of the season is God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. It's an English, uh, it's an English carol. Um, and so... It's about tidings of comfort and joy. And so I guess I'm wondering, um, when you think about rest and you think about finding your rest, are you resting in the Lord? Are you finding soul rest these days? Um, Oh, rest ye, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. For Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born upon this day to save poor souls from Satan's power, which long time had gone astray, which brings tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. So those are my encouraging um, words as you consider the rest that God will call you to um, later today and tonight. I have uh, in front of me now Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 to 12. And the reason that I'm highlighting this is because this is the season of giving. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, lots of requests in the email box, lots of requests in the mailbox, lots of requests on the phone. Um, all kinds of folks, um, you know, looking for year-end charitable giving, and lots of folks as well, you know, with their Christmas lists. Um, Amazon makes it possible for people to, like, make a list and then send you the link, and I think and that is the expectation that you're going to get them a gift. So <clears throat> I thought reminding us of the words of Scripture in relationship to giving— um, and the generosity of spirit might be helpful this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 to 12. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way in order that you might be generous on every occasion, um, which is through us producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And so when Paul's talking about that, um, he's talking about the, the value of generosity. He's talking about the, the, the flow of God's grace into our lives and then through us as conduits into the lives of others. And then ultimately, a little bit like uh, water circulates back, right? Um, it, it returns to God in thanksgiving. So if you haven't thought about it this way lately, like you and I don't own anything. We are, we are but stewards and managers. It, it all belongs to God. All of it. All of it belongs to God. It all came from God. It's all returning to God. Um, you and I, you know, eventually we're going into a box. And so the opportunity that we have now to be conduits of the grace of God in, into the lives of other people and then ultimately in thanksgiving to God is, a, is just a significant blessing. That in and, itself, in and of itself is a blessing. Indeed, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We're going to have that conversation next with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek, the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul and Northwestern Media. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
Our friend Dr. Corbin Hornbeek is with us this morning. He is the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul and Northwestern Media, of which Faith Radio is a part. Corbin, Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas and good morning to you, yes. Carmen and Indeed. Paul. Good morning. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, I thought it would be fun to have a conversation with you about this phrase we often hear this time of year. It's better to give than to receive. Mm. How, how does that actually work itself out? Um, well, I can tell you uh, with our kids, um, it goes the other direction. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting how that works. And I think probably most of our listeners who have young kids, you know, but we train our kids also uh, to think about giving. One of the things we've done, one of our family traditions that we've always had um, as our, you know, when our, particularly when our kids were little, but it, it's carried us into our adult life now. Our kids don't live with us for that anymore. So we've got to be a little bit more creative. But we've always picked out a family uh, that's just kind of anonymous. And we have done what we call the ring and run, the ring and run. And so we find out as much as we can about this family that's in need and, um, and their kids. And we buy presents, we wrap them, and we put everything on the front door or wherever, wherever they live. We ring the doorbell and we run. And for our family, that, those have been some of the best Christmas memories of, of giving, uh, that have stayed with us. Don't really remember a lot of the presents, uh, presents that we've gotten, but we do remember the ring and runs. Yeah, we have, a, um, as you know, we get together as a staff on yeah. um, Zoom calls or Teams calls, and we've been, folks have been sharing, you know, like a Christmas tradition in their family. And mm. one um, one of our team members, you know, shared that every year they wrap up the same plate. And this plate actually came from some missionaries that they support. And then every uh. single year, a different person in the family, you know, receives the plate. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, I love... I love the creative way in which we we keep ministries alive in front of yep. us. We remember people on the mission field in particular right. ways. Um, we've been engaged in alternative giving for a long time, mm. where when we get the gift catalog, everybody picks something out, yep. um, you know, like for Heifer Project or one of the other ones. And in we're, you know, we're on our way to a full arc of animals, right, <laughs> over the course of time. I'm not surprised, Carmen. (laughs) Or like Angel Tree. Like, I love that. Uh I just, I think there are lots of ways this time of year for us to teach our kids in particular um, to to cultivate the spirit of giving during Christmas. Samaritan's Purse. There there are so many tangible ways for kids uh, to look beyond themselves. And so when you think of, of the life that so many people live, uh, 364 days of the year, it's it's pretty self-absorbed in a lot of ways. And Christmas is an amazing time, a wonderful opportunity for us to uh, look outside of ourselves, beyond ourselves, uh, be cognizant of the needs of those in the world around us. And um, there's so many fun ways to be able to do that with our kids. Yeah, it's so good. I think acts of service is mm-hmm. um, something that we could be mindful of as well. Um, maybe there is a retirement community near where you live, and you might just drop by and offer to help decorate somebody's door or right. help them get their Christmas cards out. Like yep. maybe there's an act of service you could do um, in the free time that you have because you and your kids are off school um, this week, or maybe you know you're not traveling over the holiday, um, and um, and you could welcome some folks around your table. Um, That's right. I, one of the things that Corbin, I'm I'm just aware of is, and I want to and I want to sort of tread gently into this. <clears throat> there, there's a bit of a complaining spirit 
mm-hmm. um, sometimes when Christmas is not what someone imagines or has been led to imagine that it is supposed to be. Can you yeah. can you maybe help us with that? Like what what is Christmas? <laughs> well, you know, every song we sing is about Christmas joy and happiness and the the pictures um, you know, we have these, uh, we, on, in our house, we'll, we'll sometimes, on our TV, you can go to a YouTube channel and you can bring up these uh, for your TV. It's like um, a, a still picture of leaves falling at Thanksgiving or the Christmas tree lit and, you know, music in the background. And we have these, these um, built up expectations of a perfect scripted Christmas where everybody's happy and nobody's sick and it's always Christmas and never winter, uh, as uh, it says in Narnia. Um, And uh, Christmas is that time for us to ultimately turn our hearts and our minds back to the Lord Jesus. I know that sounds trite. I know we say that all the time, but boy, um, when when we give ourselves that moment to stop and listen, and be quiet, and sit in a chair with no noise and no visuals, and just listen to the Lord speaking to us. And I, I am actually looking forward to some time like that over Christmas. I need some time like that. I'm looking forward to just some quiet. Um, and I would encourage all of us to find those moments and those places, uh, even if it's just a chair in the house, uh, or wherever you may be, where you can uh, just listen. I have a corner. Do you? I have a corner. I have to face a corner. I'm so easily <laughs> distracted. So I actually think, and if I've told you this before, um, forgive me, but, and this will not surprise you, I don't think, but when I was in grade school, particularly in fourth grade, yeah. I spent a fair amount of time in the corner. Mrs. Oh, Kuhn, I'm not surprised. Mrs. Kuhn <laughs> sent me to the corner a lot. And, and... And now I love the corner. Like yeah. I love, 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 love the piece of a corner. Like I, you know, there's no distraction. Yeah. Um, I can just, I can just be present with the Lord in a way that um, is not true mm-hmm. when I'm sort of facing out there toward the watching world or yeah. toward, you know, a room full of people. Um, so yeah, I love that. I, I pray that you get some of that time yeah. um, over this, over this Christmas. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, you are a university president. You are with university people. You have I have you sent the kids home? Are the are the kids gone? You know, they... this is this is finals week, so oh. I, I I don't know who planned the calendar. I didn't, but but graduation is this Friday, the twenty second. It's kind of late. Yeah, it's really really late. I told somebody, why don't we just make it the twenty fourth, and then we can combine it with the Christmas Eve service, knock out two you know two big yeah, deals two in words. one. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so uh, so this is finals week for our students. On campus here at the University of Northwestern. And so um, it is quiet as I walk across campus and I do see students walking to class. I know they're walking to finals. And so I, I pray for them and I, I stop them and say hi. And they all have this kind of this uh, uh, dazed uh, look on their face. Um, like they really don't want to talk to anybody right now because they're trying to recall everything that they've been memorizing all night long. Um, but it is a, it's a wonderful time. And I think of our seniors who are graduating in December and heading out into the world uh, to be the light of Christ in the world. And that's what gives me a lot of joy. So your graduates aren't just um, going out there to make a bunch of money? 
I mean, we hope that they'll do really, really well. Um, but <laughs> they're, but what's they're the, that, share with people though, yeah. the, cause you have a real, a real heart and vision for yeah. why you are in Christian uh, higher ed. Yeah. And so could you share it? Cause it's just, it's, I mean, yes, we hope all of our graduates are successful. Yeah. Um, but that means something different to us. It, it really does. And, um, I think of this this time. In fact, I was talking with our daughter this past week. We had a, we had an hour and 15 minute long conversation and Carmen, you've met our daughter, so you know, Claire. And, um, and she lives in California. We're having this father daughter conversation about, um, the importance of this time between 18 and 22 years old, where so much happens in your life. I mean, you, you start you know, kind of a, you start college as this high school graduate kid and you and you leave generally four years later as an adult ready to go out into the world and make a difference. And so the transformation that happens during this time is absolutely remarkable. But it's not transformation just to go out and get a degree and go get a job and make boatloads of money. It's to be able to see the world with the eyes of Christ uh, to be able to see the world with a biblical worldview, to be able to see the needs of the world, and to see yourself as part of God's redemptive plan uh, to make a difference and to serve a broken and hurting and needy world. And when our graduates step off that stage with their, you know, their diploma in their hand, um, uh, and I get the privilege of meeting so many of our alumni who are out there in the world, I am absolutely astounded by the sacrificial service that carries them through the whole of their life in every vocational setting, whether they're in the marketplace or the classroom or the, you know, the courtroom or in politics or wherever they may be, there is this heart to serve and uh, be part of God's redemptive work in the world. So that, that's what gets me up in the morning. It's so good. If you're listening right now and you're, um, you don't recognize Corbin's uh, voice, he's Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. He's the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Uh, Faith Radio is a part of Northwestern Media, which is a part of UNW. Um, and when we think about, uh, you know, our graduates, there are, there are so many um, precious graduates of this institution doing such good work in so many um, fields. And, um, and so if you just could be mindful to pray yeah. for those who are graduating, um, the, these young people whom God is, who God has by the heart and the hand, uh, that he might lead them faithfully in the way that they go. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. We'll be back in, uh, in just a moment. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. 
If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. We're talking with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. Um, Corbin, when we talk about what we hope to get for Christmas or um, what we have to give at Christmas, I, I think I want to see if you and I can unpack the idea of getting Jesus. Mm. Like we talk about unwrapping the gift that God sends in human flesh and the person Mm. of Jesus, but like, how does a person get Jesus? (laughs) Uh, You know, Carmen, I was thinking about this a little bit this morning in in an interesting kind of way. Um, You know, one of the parts of scripture that I love the most, I love the genealogies in Matthew and Luke And the reason I love them, because you see people like Rahab, Rahab the prostitute. You see um, Bathsheba, who uh, was the mother of Solomon, King Solomon. Um, Ruth. There are people in the genealogies of Jesus that help me get Jesus, because um, my life, you know, before I became a Christian was, was... um, kind of a mess, and my family was really, really broken. And so I relate to, I, I, I grew up in a family, of course, that was broken and, and divorced and all that. And so I relate to the the people in the genealogy of Jesus that uh, uh, whose lives were anything but perfect. And it helps me see uh, the Messiah uh, in a way where... Um, and I think there are probably people that feel like, well, I don't know that I deserve Jesus. I don't know that, you know, my life is not clean enough uh, for Jesus. Maybe God would love me more if I get my life cleaned up first, and then, you know, Jesus would love me. I, I get Jesus because I see the brokenness of the world, and I see Jesus stepping down into the brokenness of the world through the brokenness of of people. Um, Luke tw- uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 23, there's a little verse in there, and it, it's about Joseph, who, of course, was not Jesus's biological father. And, um, and Luke says, um, Joseph was the, uh, was the uh, or Jesus was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. You know, there's this messiness to even Jesus's nuclear family. I mean, his father, people thought his father was his father, but of course was his not his biological father. So that's kind of a long explanation, Carmen, but that's kind of how I get Jesus. That's good. I like that. I I remember um, <clears throat> back in my children's ministry days, you know, trying to have this conversation about, you know, God sends this greatest gift wrapped in human flesh and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's in a manger and, um, and kids being like, what? What is you know like what does that mean? And I I do think that sometimes we we're so, we've grown so comfortable with Christian language and even the stories yeah. that we forget that it's brand new good news. It, right. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the great joy for all people. And there's a lot of people who don't know the story. Yeah, they don't. They, they don't, don't have. I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and so you know when we sing you know go tell it on the mountain, um, that's that's a mandate. Like, it's not just a song that we sing. Like, that's a mandate. And inviting people to come and worship, come and worship, you know, worship Christ, the newborn King. Amen. We have to bring people along. Yeah. And then we have to explain to them 
why we're doing what we're doing, like who that is wrapped in human flesh mm. lying in that manger. I mean, what what this whole thing is all about. Yeah. He he stepped <clears throat> he stepped down from his throne over all of creation and stepped into human flesh, a body. And then uh, you know, some of our listeners have, have heard the 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 Eugene Peterson translation and the message that he moved into the neighborhood. And that, I think that's a way of, of describing Jesus's proximity to our broken humanity. Moved in right next door, moved into our hearts, moved into the most broken places of our lives and, um, and, and redeems what is so broken about this world. And that is the joy. It's not the presence. It's yes, Christmas morning is wonderful and it's exciting um, to be together with family and all that. But, but when I reflect back on my life and I see the, the, the brokenness that has been transformed and the, uh, the, the gift of knowing that I have eternal salvation with Jesus, <clears throat> that, excuse me, that is joy. That is true joy. And yes, we should be shouting that, uh, from the mountaintops. Well, that's in the spirit of First Peter. Like, right, this is a living hope. That's right. Um, yeah, this is. We have been reborn into a living hope. Yeah, uh, and our that. joy and our joy is unassailable. Um, it's real. Well, thank you, um, Corbin, so much for for joining us today. Merry Christmas to you and uh, and your sweet family. Uh, thank you, Carmen. Merry Christmas to you, Paul. Merry Christmas, and um, you know it's been it is so much fun being with you both uh, every month on this show. We enjoy it. We yeah. love it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, Merry Christmas to you both. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Do you have a favorite um, passage of scripture or this time of year, or maybe a particular Christmas carol? kind of rings in your mind, um, flows off your tongue. Like even just in that conversation with Corbin, you know, I'm like, okay, we're supposed to go tell it on the mountain. Um, We're supposed to invite people to come with us um, to the manger throne. Um, Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn King. Who are we bringing along in our Christmas experience? Who are we bringing along in our Christmas experience? Um, Maybe you have an old family tradition that you could resurrect. <clears throat> maybe because maybe there's no longer family left to celebrate the tradition with. Well, what might it look like for you to start that tradition afresh or start a fresh tradition um, and just invite people into it? It's possible that you have not seen uh, the <clears throat> the frozen um, uh, the frozen episode where Olaf is trying to find a tradition in order that, they can have Christmas, and uh, and in the end, Olaf is their tradition. Like Olaf has been the one that has been present um, every Christmas of their of their lives. And so, you know, it's not the fruitcake, it's not the tree, it's not the presents, it's not the ice skating, it's not the cookies, it's not the gingerbread houses, it's not whatever you imagine in your mind. Um, <clears throat> you know, the the thing. Um, it it was the presence of the individual. Now. Obviously, Olaf is not salvific. I'm not suggesting that. He's a snowman created by a flurry. But I'm hoping that it provides a connecting point for you. Like, we don't get Christmas if we don't get Jesus. We literally, we, we don't, it doesn't matter how many other parts and pieces we put into place. Cards and trees and, 
yard decor and lights and festive sweaters and parties and cakes and whatever. It doesn't, none of that matters. It doesn't matter if you miss the Nutcracker this year. It does matter if you miss the manger. And so let's help people get Jesus this Christmas. So when people ask you, what are you hoping to get for Christmas? I would like to suggest that at the top of your list is Jesus. And yes, it sounds like a Sunday school answer, but most people aren't going to Sunday school, and so they won't recognize it as a Sunday school answer. (laughs) They just won't. What do you hope to get this year for Christmas? I really only want one thing. Jesus. You can have all the rest. Just give me Jesus. You know how to do this. You, You can do this. You can help other people get Jesus this Christmas. You can invite them to come with you and bow together at the manger throne and then tell them who that is, who that little baby wrapped in human flesh. Tell them who that is. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He created all things. He loves you. Your name is written on his heart. Help people make the connection this year to the true meaning of Christmas. Help them get Jesus. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.